Hi, Paul. Welcome back. Hello. Great to be here again. Thanks for inviting me. You have somehow, I don't know why, but you're always working on interesting projects. So the last time, you know, we had uh, we had a chat about JaxOS, which was uh, transformative. And now something similar is going on with uh, a little bit, you know, reflection, but not on bytecode rather than on source code, right? So uh, something completely different. And um, GPUs. So I guess, you know, you, you would like to make Minecraft faster or what with GPUs? <laughs> You know, there's two different categories of GPU compute. One is to render things like like Minecraft or Forza, mm -hmm. which is a micro, you know, the, the, the racing car game, which the graphics mm -hmm. are incredible. Or the other is to actually do um, computation, non-graphical computation, which is interesting story by itself, right? Because you know the entire gaming industry from the from the gaming something more serious happened because you know the uh, the, the the entire evolution of the GPUs and the in the PCs was driven by games. That's right. Yes. And and now and now it is back to business. So I would say the entire Nvidia story with the H100 or whatever is just about, about machine learning actually yes. and less gaming and and between there was a little bit Bitcoin mining, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yes. But now it's more reasonable, right? So yeah, I think there's a more reasonable use case. NFTs and Bitcoin mining were a bit like, well, I don't know about that, but the, yeah, this I think the AI thing has a bit more mm -hmm. traction than crypto. Yeah, blockchain was a good idea. Like, I mean, GitHub is a good idea, and Kafka is also very similar, but Bitcoin, okay. But um, but uh, the uh, the um, the GPUs is actually as transformative as JaxOS because back then, you know, Java was said to be I don't know slow and ESB and SOAP and JaxOS make it more appealing, and right now. If it works well with Babylon, Java could be a really interesting language to you know to for AI, right? To to be to be better integrated yeah. with uh, GPU hardware. Yeah, uh, that's one of the goals. It's um, I think the GPU is is a use case of um, Babylon plus other technologies combined together. So the uh, what we're trying to do in the platform is to find the right primitive building blocks that people can build. Um, Uh, interesting, um, useful stuff in Java, like leveraging GPUs or other forms of accelerators without us having to embed that explicitly in the platform itself. So then we find the building blocks and everyone can move faster in that sense. So I think we, um, in the prior attempt, I think it was Project Sumatra, we tried to do that in Hotspot itself. And it is a pretty, pretty gnarly problem and they made good progress, but trying to embed that into the compilers of hotspot and to get garbage collection working and so forth there so it's a real challenge so if we can provide the primitives that allow uh, developers to write uh, gpu uh, support in libraries better than they can do today i think that's a win-win situation so code reflection enables that better than the existing technologies in the platform and when you combine that with project panama which allows you to do foreign function Uh, integration with native libraries better. The two combine uh, make for a very interesting way to build libraries. So I'm not doing most of that work. That's Gary Frost who's who's doing that work. So he's leveraging Panama and, and Babylon and experimenting with a GPU programming model um, as, a, as effectively as a library to help help um, check, say that sort of Panama and Babylon are fit for purpose, but also provide some value. So we can also work with GPU vendors, hopefully at some point, and then they can sort of uh, collaborate with us and we can build something really first class. Mm -hmm. So which buildings block... So the, the idea of um, of the Project Babylon is, you know, to have a nice bridged GPUs, right? Between A bridge between Java and GPUs. This is the main um, goal, right? To, to effectively enable a bridge, um, it, it, G, GPUs is just one use case. So the the what you if you look at GPUs there um, if you want to code to a GPU it's it's a limited sort sort of programming model if you like you if you look at CUDA or OpenCL the programming model is different to what one would ordinarily program for a CPU and the reason is because you're writing parallel programs and so the, the model is constrained so if you're going to write in Java um, not every program makes sense to execute in the GPU. And not every program um, sort of is designed to because it's often sequential code. It's not highly parallel, but maybe a small part of your program that takes 99.9% of the time to execute, whatever, you know, the, the sort of boundary um, makes sense to run on a GPU. And that is constrained. So the idea is of Project Babylon is we will expose out um, selected areas of Java code in a, in a, in a sort of model 
that then you can reason about and then transform to, say, CUDA code or OpenCL. But that's just one use case. So the, what Gary's doing is designing a GPU programming model that's of limited, constrained, and then he can take the code model he gets out at runtime or at compile time and translate that to CUDA code. But we could also take the model and auto-differentiate it, or we could take the model and auto What means auto-differentiate it? What, what, what does it mean? Oh, so um, one, one thing in machine learning is um, with, um, when you're training machine learning models, you need to differentiate your function. Your machine learning model is just a function, effectively, and you need to differentiate it so you can find the optimal ah. minima that you hope is a local minima. And so you need to differentiate that that mathematical function. And so um, you can, one, one technique to, to do that is to analyze the program statically and then apply the rules of differentiation to that program. And so you could do that with a code model as well. So it's really a way to get access to the code in a, in a, in, in a form that's better than bytecode. It's better than the, uh, the AST exposed out by the compiler, it's standardized. And it's in a form suitable for this kind of reasoning and analysis. So you don't have to transform it into something. First of all, it should be there, mostly reasonably there to reason about data flow and control flow and, and stuff like that. Then in the uh, Babylon world, the uh, model would be the implementation of such a function, right? Or So what it means is we could do yes. the differentiation on the function level or we can do it deeper on the implementation level, right? So we have two choices. Um, um, no, let me try and explain. So, um, you've got a mathematical function written in Java, yes. um, and it's, you've coded in Java, you compile it to bytecode. Yes. Um, but also at the same time, a compiler will have compiled it to a, a different sort of structure. A yes. What I'm calling a code model. And mm -hmm. when you do the auto differentiation, you will access the code model, mm -hmm. um, and it's effectively in symbolic form describing the code and then you would generate a new code model that's a okay. differential of that one and then you compile that to byte code or okay. okay you know you, or you could interpret it and so, so you you would so, so without the code model in java wouldn't be possible right because uh it would be hard to you know to analyze byte code and yes. uh and and the function is not doesn't provide you enough information of the that's that's correct in some cases you can and in other cases, it's harder. Um, okay. I think we, we don't provide in the platform for, for various reasons access to bytecode directly. If you wanted mm -hmm. to access the bytecode off disk through class files, you can do so. But it's often in a form where information, you've lost information. It's in a stack-based form as well. So often, if people are going to reason about code that's in bytecode, first of all, they might lift it up yeah. a little bit into a form that... in. Uh, which is effectively what compilers do. The C2 compiler or GRAL compiler will lift it up into a basic block graph form and convert it into something called, um, it's either single static or static single an, uh, analysis. Okay. Static single analysis form. Um, so it's easy to reason about the code. So bytecode is designed really to be consumed by the VM. It's not designed to be um, really analyzed as such, although you can. And, and the same for the sort of AST you might get out of the compiler. First of all, it isn't standardized. So, so mm -hmm. the Eclipse compiler has a different API to the, uh, the Java compiler in OpenJDK. Um, and it's very closely aligned to the grammar. So there's a lot of idiosyncrasies, what you call surface syntax details and so forth like that, but that get in the way of doing analysis. So we're mm -hmm. trying to find a sweet spot between the AST and bytecode where you can do these kinds of analysis and to make it easier for GPU code, but also for other kinds of code. For, for example... Does uh, sorry, uh, this reminds me of two things from conceptual okay. perspective. One is uh, completely different, but similar mm -hmm. from conceptual perspective, is in GraalVM the truffle. This is like the meta thing where languages can talk to each other, but this is more like API. This is not like the model, like the data, right? It's more like just, you know, the ability to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is uh, a long time ago, I spent time with model-driven architecture, MDA, and uh -huh. there were two models. One was called PIM, Platform Independent yeah. Model, and the other one was the Platform Specific Model, PSM. Uh -huh. And the attempt was, you know, to... To have a yeah, state machine and uh, and the interfaces and to 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 specify something on the higher level, 
and generate, you know, f- from the metadata, which was uh, in the in the MOF meta object facility mm-hmm. was called, I think, <laughs> to generate, you know, uh, different representations. And uh, the, the, the code model seems to me to be similar. So you have like an easier to use to consume bytecode representation, right? Which can be then uh, output or how to call it transformed mm-hmm. to different things. Yes. And one, what would be really interesting was would be Vasm or something like this, right? So you, you could do that. You um, again a constrained programming model. Um, you could compile it down to Wasm. I think mm-hmm. trying to compile Java in general to Wasm has challenges. Yes, you mm-hmm. have to emulate the runtime. But if you're willing to deviate from the, the sort of specification of, of what mm-hmm. Java gives you and say, I am now going to infer this program in my own way. Mm-hmm even though it's syntactic correct Java code, then you could do that. Just like CUDA code, the same, same concept in, in a sense. Um, just, just back to those two analogies, I think um, Truffle is, is effectively when you write a, um, a Truffle compiler, you're implementing um, an AST interpreter that then gets recompiled by mm-hmm. the Graal compiler. It's quite clever. This is metacircularity. Whereas where where the connection would fit is you could write a truffle interpreter for the code model, just like oh. you can write the truffle interpreter for bytecode um, if you wanted to. So but this is even crazier. So you can run the code model on, on, on Gravia. If, you, if someone was willing to write an AST interpreter for the code model, um, they could do so in that sense. That's, that's the way I'd see it fitting in. Or alternatively, you could transform the code model to GraalIR, just like you could transform it to bytecode or, for, or if you wanted to go C2I. But the real, the real transformation interchange I was interested in when I was looking at this was um, mid to high level kinds of transformations. And there's this technology called MLIR, which I think stands for mid-level IR, intermediate representation developed by Chris Latner. And he was doing all these sort of GPU coding. He was looking at LLVM and saying, this is too low level to do machine learning type technology. It needs something higher level where we can reason about the transformations at a higher level and then lower it down progressively to my target execution environment. Because once you get to LLVM bit code, it's too low level to reason about loops and types of memory accesses if you can reason about it at a higher level of what's going on. So that's where I thought, well, if we provide a similar type of abstraction in Java, in, in the Java way, that's a short hop to MLIR compilers and tool chains, then we can leverage all this interesting stuff that's done out there. And with Chris Lutner is interesting because he created Swift and uh, yeah. Mojo as well. This is like, uh, you know... That's right. It's very, he's a very ambitious... Um, um, Endeavor Mojo. We'll see if it's uh, if anyone can pull it off. Yes. There's very few people who could pull that off. He may be one of them that can do it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so. I all, always wondered, right? Because, um, okay, um, it's, it's two, two interesting stuff you are speaking. So I, I had to know, I uh, wanted to, 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 um, to, uh, to, to mention something, but your stuff is too yeah. interesting. So I'm just thinking what you said <laughs> because there's a complete uh, <laughs> different opportunities and possibilities. But um, what I wanted, you know, Python, mm. it comes with low performance. So it is uh, orders of magnitude slower than everything. This, uh, this is actually why uh, Chris Lutton also created Mojo to speed up yeah. Python. But um, I always wondered, right? Uh, not wondered, but uh, the fact right now. So if the uh, AI becomes more uh, popular, the challenge is not to use it. The challenge is to integrate it in existing applications or yes, enterprise applications right. and use it, right? Yes. And, um, and then whatever we did back then, so... Um, I'm right um, right now after the live streaming show, and I got the question of what about optimistic logs and transactions and databases. So we get the same question to know, ask in model: Are the model concurrent? Yes mm-hmm. or no? You know mm-hmm. how much uh, you no know, transactions we can we can ask the model in parallel? Does the model run in one machine or or not? So mm-hmm. the entire integration becomes more and more challenging, I would say, because I don't think it is enough just to call you know ChatGPT via HTTP, because lots of companies say this not with us right we would like to run everything on, on our machines right. so um so there will be at least you know some challenges and i would say java is actually perfectly suited for it because i already thought you know if there nothing happens in java we could at least you know use gralvm try to run python in gralvm and try to communicate efficiently with python or whatever just you know to hack a little bit but um in your babylon project this is really a clean idea how to how to uh how to you know in integrate the model seamlessly 
Mm. And with GraalVM, maybe later, even really fast, right? Because if GraalVM will optimize the entire thing, it will run orders of mag magnitude uh, faster than Python, right? Um, my own opinion on this is um, the, compared, the Graal compiler compared to the C2 compiler, they're actually fairly comparable in terms of mm -hmm. performance overall over a large mm -hmm. set of benchmarks. You'll get ones that are better in others than that. So it's, I think there's a couple of advantages to Graal in that it, it, it can offer you a, a polyglot world if that is what mm -hmm. you want to operate in, although I think that's quite a niche area. And another niche area would, I think, be the idea of a static compilation ahead of time. So you get the faster startup and potentially smaller memory footprint. But I don't think in and of an L, it will speed up the execution of, of uh, machine learning models compared to C2 like that. I think where, where, where we get into that is really um, identifying areas of code that we can offload to accelerators and giving, giving the libraries the ability to transform that code themselves and letting, letting the, the platform get out the way for them so it makes it a simpler problem. It, it's a hard problem in general, but if a platform can get out the way and give the information to the library developer in a suitable form, they're far more productive. And if they can rely on that as a standard API, then we get interoperations. So code models can be used to interchange with other libraries. So you know, we can get these layers of, of interoperation and transformation going on. So hopefully we can build up a sort of ecosystem around this, which is composable. I mean, that's that's for that's a real power here. I think is is this building block, and, and it, it, all it is really is just a reflect it is a symbolic representation of code that we think is at the right level for this kinds of use cases. And and then if we can provide the right APIs, in a in a, a simple but powerful APIs to access the model and transform it, people can build their own reasoning on top and really to interchange to other tool chains whether it be Graal, whether it be MLIR tool chains, or whether it be something like um, we did an experiment with Oracle Labs. They had this um, platform called Parallel Graph Analytics where you can write a program, a Java program, and it will do a query of a very large graph. But that Java program is actually transpi not transpiled, transformed into another kind of program that's executed across many machines. It's never designed to be run as bytecode. And we, we, we plugged in, and they were operating at the AST level of the compiler. And we changed it to operate at the code reflection and sort of did a switch between the AST model to the code reflection model and pumped it in through their compiler that way. And, and it's actually a lot easier for them to go that way. There's less friction uh, uh, to, to do the other routes. So they're more productive. But they don't have to throw away all their existing code they have to do the, the so it's an interchange problem between various different domains. And I see that I see that playing out for GPUs as well. So um, what you said, just because uh, just to uh, to catch that, and uh, what you did in Oracle Labs was uh, a, a Java program was transpiled to uh, to call, to um, how, how's call it to like not language model how we how we call it. It was um, so there was this uh, uh, platform called there's this sort of um, platform. Uh, library platform, if you like, called Parallel Graph Analytics. Parallel Graph Analytics. And this was the uh, model there, right? So there was the... So this, yeah, this is... It's, it's a framework, really. It's a framework mm -hmm. for writing graph queries. Mm -hmm. And they have a they have their own um, way in Java to write a parallel graph algorithm mm -hmm. to do queries on graphs. Um, and this... But they use... The, they plug into the Java compiler to mm -hmm. get access to the AST. Mm -hmm. And then look at the AST, which is effectively a model of the code, symbolic mm -hmm. model, and then transform that using their own compiler toolchain to generate um, multi-threaded Java code that runs in fork join and runs across many machines. You know, cool idea. Is actually what database is also kind of doing, right? Yeah, so they yeah. translate the SQL Very to, to machine. Yes. Yeah. And um, the recent Hibernate, I think six, they also have all the queries in in a model. So they switch that's from. That's right. You, you build up a query plan. Here's another in, uh, way we can think about code reflection. You can also model SQL queries. Mm -hmm. So you have an A, like what Link does. Link allows you to build up an expression that says this expression is actually can be transformed to an SQL query. And yeah. So rather than writing the stringy SQL or, or something very low level that a, mm -hmm. a compiler would write, mm -hmm. you can write at a high level and then transform it into an SQL expression. So it doesn't have to be just yeah. GPU code or something like that. It can be something 
a bit more abstract. So this link language integrated querying.net is, is a similar idea to the, to the, to the right. code model. Yes. Okay. Yeah, very, very true. So expression trees in C sharp mm-hmm. are kind of similar to code reflection in Java, except that we're, we're trying to express more code. In, in expression trees, you, you, you can only express a very limited set of it. Um, C-sharp code, I think, just because they ran out of steam. This is time. why C-sharp is able to, to, to generate the VASM, right? I think this is the um, entire trick. Maybe, or maybe they're using something else. Um, yeah. Maybe they're operating at the um, the uh, the CLR level for VASM. Mm-hmm. I don't think for expression, they're not operating at expression trees. They're probably operating at a lower level. So the code model is this, you already know, your choice to restrict yourself, right? So this is yeah, like, uh, this is an, on purpose, we are restricting, you know, the power of bytecode to something more precise maybe and also limited and from that i say no it's 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 more um it's it's uh it's expressing more information more okay yes so it's it will in in a form that's easier to reason about so but it will express less information than one what's in the ast so yeah what what i thought i I know um, there was uh, you know for javascript there was a mozilla project where mm-hmm. they did a subset, subset of JavaScript to run faster. I forgot the name. Uh, and then Vasm happened. You know, there was, a, you oh, know, right, library. Yeah. remember this? This was like... Um, oh, I can't remember it, but yeah, that, that could make sense, yes. So I thought that the code model is something similar, but it's the opposite is true. So this, the, you use the code model, you know, to put uh, usable information on it, but only information which is required. It's more like maybe a state machine almost, right? Well, it's it's basically a, it's 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 a symbolic way of describing your program. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. So an AST is a symbolic way of describing yeah. your program. Bytecode is a symbolic mm-hmm. way of describing your program. Source code is for for, for mm-hmm. users reading it. And so it's a, it's like an intermediate representation, but we're trying not to call it that in a sense. Okay. So that's why it's code model. And model is a very overloaded term, of course, in in computer science. Mm-hmm. But it's really a model of code that is at a certain level where it retains the structure, like the control flow nested structure of code, and it, it contains the types that may be thrown away when you lower to byte code. So if you look at the sort of textual form of it, where we can convert the in, a runtime instance in memory to textual form, it kind of, you can compare it with the Java code one-to-one. So, yeah. so you, have this, you have this meta model, mm-hmm. and in that meta model, you, you model Java language constructs Mm-hmm. And and then you, you you and then it's up it's up to us to decide how many of these Java language constructs do we actually want to model. So you get a high level model, and you can lower it into a low level model mm-hmm. if you wanted to, stripping away the structure, but it's still capturing the the way the code would be represented by a runtime compiler or an, mm-hmm. or a standard G, GCC compiler. They all do the same stuff. They convert it into basic blocks and a static a sort of SSA form as well. And so there's various levels you can operate on this to decide how you want to translate to the domain you want to go to, be mm-hmm. it a GPU or, or generating bytecode because you've auto-diffed it or auto-vectorized code. So it's, it's trying to get the sweet spot of the right level of modeling of Java language constructs in a way that you can reason about the code. Exactly, because uh, w- what I'm looking at, I think I saw this and it was readable to me. And I'm mm-hmm. just, you know, um, is this the class file API? No, but the class file API would be is an API for generating and parsing and transforming bytecode. It's a very nice, nicely designed API. Yeah, Java code model. Okay. Um, yeah, because... that, again, model is an overloaded term. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, uh, this, uh, the um, I, I think I saw on uh, one of your talks, maybe. But there was a text representation of the code model, and uh, it, it was readable. Maybe it was in the JVMLS presentation. Yeah, I, and the slides there. There's, yeah, there's yeah. an example. I show an example, a small. This example. is maybe because one of your talks I saw this. Is okay. This, this looks actually nice, and and then I tried to find it. And I, and I searched for code model Java example Babylon, and I found and I found four, four five, seven. Jap. <laughs> Interestingly, <laughs> as, uh, this was the third. It was yeah, the third hit. Um, I, I can send. Actually, I, I'll send you a link. There's. Yeah, and I will put it to the show chat. notes. Yeah, there's there's this link here to the J. And underneath there's a JVMLS presentation, and then there's um, and you, if you look at the presentation, 
looking at now, Erwobius, it goes through a lot of what I've said here in, a, in probably a clearer, more systematic way. And, and slide, slide, from slide 26, there's a few simple examples you'll see of um, textual, the textual representation of code models. And you'll see it looks very similar to... Um, exactly. This is, code. I think what I saw, I remember the code reflection annotations, annotation, yeah. and then there is a func and a double yes. with almost lambda example. And uh, yeah, it looks readable, right? So it is uh, more readable exactly. than bytecode, <laughs> I would say. This, yes, this textual form is really primarily designed to for debugging purposes and testing mm -hmm. purposes. It's not designed to be written by mm -hmm. hand as such, but it's, it's, it's useful to communicate. It's a useful way of communicating uh, mm -hmm. what's going on. And you cannot use bytecode because type information is missing, right? Or what? In, in part, um, sometimes you, you you we erase generic types. We also um, lose, you know, byte types in lo at least in locals. We um, we widen uh, shorter integral types to int, for example. Mm -hmm. So byte short will we'll get yeah um, exactly. Int. Also, you're dealing with a stack, mm -hmm. and when you're dealing with a stack, it's harder to reason about where things are used and not. Stacks are great for interpretation, um, but when you're trying to reason about code, the first thing I think people would do if they're going to do some serious analysis of bytecode, not just sort of changing this method call to that method call, so very local, is you would lift it up into basic block form where you've got, and so you understand the control flow, and then you'd lift it up into sort of a value-based form and get rid of the stack so that you can reason about what uses what because in the stack it's very hard to very hard to do that so you have to sort of interpret running through and get rid of the stack and then build and then connect these blocks together to understand the control flow and crazy so question could, could you generate from code model java again right oh you can but you'd lose a bit of information mm -hmm. and you could also generate the code model from bytecode lifting up so and in fact we do tend to ex explore that too because if you just have bytecode lifting it up into this this model is actually useful for analysis too. And so it's possible to do that. You can lift it up further, but the challenge is, is dealing with the control flow. And if you, a great example of this is IntelliJ's Fernflower. It can look, it can show, um, but it can lift up bytecode to source code. And that is not, not an easy problem to solve because um, there's ambiguities, there's, there's weirdness in branching and so forth like that. You have to sort of recover the structure of code. It does a it does a marvelous job, but every time we add a new feature, it has to <laughs> work out what to do. So it doesn't understand patterns fully, or, or something like this. But so then, uh, okay, then then Babylon is success of Sumatra, right? So this is Sumatra was the first attempt, and Babylon is now rethinking I, I and we're, we're, yeah, in in a sense, um, we're 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 connecting a GPU use case to this to in in part because we want to solve the GPU problem, and in part we want to make sure Babylon is fit for purpose as well mm -hmm. so we want to we need use cases with babylon to get feedback and say well this worked well this work didn't let's change it and so forth so it's acting as a as a, as a use case but it's also a very important use case in independently and so the aim is can we write a library that supports gpus really really well and defines a good programming model and leverages the features we have in the platform that we're devising and mm -hmm. so it's pretty key a uh, pretty key use case um one understanding question, because I always uh, ask myself, you know, um, so if let's say it is working, so it will work. So we have a Java program and we translate it to code model and code model gets executed on the GPU. And this is some kind of machine learning stuff. So AI or whatever, mm -hmm. right? So then we have actually a very tight integration between Java and GPU, mm -hmm. a very low one. I, I think lower one could be that we just write the CUDA directly, but it is not manageable, I would say. Or no. whatever, right? So this is like uh, this is like whatever. This is a very efficient and fast integration. So if you pick now Python, mm. they also have the chain, you know. Um, how, how Java? If you compare this technology with mm. currently available Python technology, mm. is it comparable? Would Java be faster, better? Uh, uh, this um, was interests me really because yeah, yeah how I, what they are doing, you know? Because uh, yeah. That's right. I think um, I think when you Python is so malleable in its syntax, yeah, and access to APIs, I I think what they if they're going to do the equivalent that what we're trying to do in Java, they would they would access the Python AST mm -hmm. and they would transform the Python AST. 
I, as an, as I don't really know much about that at all in terms of its API, but that's what they would use to access. And they would, and they would transform that AST and they would deal with the looseness of typing in Python to it, to the advantage that they had. You know, you can just add anything to anything. It doesn't matter. It just syntactically, it doesn't matter until you get to runtime and then it finds the types aren't, aren't, aren't compatible, which is great for writing concise sort of code on tensors because you can do operator overloading on it. It makes concise code. But I, I think the, the equivalent is in Python, you'd operate on the AST and you'd, uh, you, would, you would do that. I think um, operating on the, on the code model design is actually a better way to do this kind of problem than operating on an AST. It's easier for the developer. It doesn't mean the problem in and of itself is easy, but we're just making it easy, less, less friction, smoother, a smoother process to do this. So I think it's we can do what Python can do, uh, I, and I think we will enable. I think it will encourage people to do what Python, what people do on Python today in Java, and make it easier for them to do that. For example, here's an example I've been looking at. Um, OpenAI have this um, library called Triton, mm-hmm. written in Python. You can look it up. Try search for OpenAI Triton. Mm-hmm. You'll find the blog post there. And as I was reading it recently. And so they have um, Python. You can write a, a, in in Python a Triton model in Python code or mm-hmm. a programming model, Triton programming model that's restrictive. It's not all Python code is represented to compile down to a GPU. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and effectively, you code in blocks of tensors mm-hmm. and you can add tensors, multiply them, dot product, do loops and so forth like this. But it's an easier way to write um, code that gets executed on a, an NVIDIA GPU, say, rather than having to directly write CUDA or PTX. So it, mm-hmm. it makes makes the OpenAI developers doing all their matrix multiply and deep learning stuff more efficient and they can experiment with uh, more performant algorithms. So Triton like, sounds to me like, uh, like you know, the Mozilla attempts to make JavaScript faster, right? So now just to restrict Python, you know, just to, to be executable yeah. on yeah. the GPU. And in fact, it's it's bypassing the Python interpreter almost certainly, and, and it's got their own compiler in, and it's leveraging MLAR to generate the, 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 the PTX code. So that, again, they're slotting, they're looking at the Python code, transforming it into their own model, and then transforming it into MLAR, with their own dialect in it, and then pumping it through all of the existing MIR toolchain that's available. And so I've done the same in Java using code reflection. So I can write a Triton program in Java with an API, and I can generate the equivalent MIR-like structure that I could then pass over to the existing compiler toolchain. And so I can do the same thing. And it's, of course, I know what's going on, so because I've worked on this and designed a lot of it, I can do it quickly. But then my mm-hmm. feeling is the APIs are holding up mm-hmm. and in the ability to do this, and that, that's encouraging to me that you can, if you can do this in Python, we we can do the same in Java mm-hmm. in the same way, and I think probably in a better way, at least to get the initial information out to be able to operate on the code. I think it's in the right and uh, a better better form. Yeah, this this answers actually my question because what I always always wondered, you know, what the Python um, developers are actually doing. So how they interact, you know, with the GP, GPU and how yeah. they train the models because they have to interact and this GPU is very low level. So that there should be something in between, and the more is in between, the slower Python gets, right? Because you cannot just right. execute. Yeah, a lot of the time Python is just a shim around native code. Yeah, of course. But even um, then, it's even worse because then there's no more Python. Then, then, then Python will look like C, right? So this is w- w- what I say. That's, that's why Chris Latner's created Mojo, I think, in that respect, which is a superset. But it is often the libraries, uh, uh, the Python libraries, are often a shim around native code. And in fact, we're playing a similar game with Panama. We're saying, well, if you got this very efficient native library yeah. with Panama, why not use it? So, in combination with Babylon and a transformer written in Java. The speed is not important. They're like in Triton, they've written the Triton compiler in Triton transformer in Python to generate the model. And, and then they go to the native and then they just pass it all native. And we'll, we'll do something similar since we need to talk to the native GPU drivers anyway. We need to bind to them. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll write the transformers in Java and to the, to the point at which then we can hand off to the native code. And so Gary's been experimenting with actually lifting up to OpenCLC code from Java code. Yeah, this is what I thought. 
because uh, we have compiler, Python doesn't, right? So you have a lot of experience with C2 and with Hotspot. And uh, what you could do is you could try to optimize, you know, the how the code model, um, how it talks, you know, to, to the to the hardware almost, right? So you can you, you can, can, you can optimize the memory. An example of a high level, we want to stick to sort of mid to high level optimizations here, and then let the other tool chains do the like C2 and and Graal and that do all of the. If you're going to execute on a CPU, they're super super um, optimized to do this. And so we just need to pass them at a high level. And even for uh, GPU compilers, uh, they, they've got a lot of optimization. And so if we operate mid to high level, we can we can look at a at a core graph. So you might have a, a, a GPU program might actually call multiple kernels in loops and so forth. And so the, the program is sort of a closure over a computer of multiple kernels that call each other. You can trace the, the sort of ins and outs of the kernels. And you can trace within the kernels where the memory is read or written to. So you can optimize the sort of data movement by looking at the program more globally at a mid to high level. And from that, you can use that strategy to generate more optimal code when you when you lower it down to your execution target. So that's one thing we're looking at there. I think the key thing for uh, GPUs is the kernel, kernel problem is kind of solved in a way. Um, we're just making it easier through Babylon to enable that. What isn't solved so well is the composition of multiple kernels together. So often you'll find like a CPU. What do you mean by kernel? Is this like a, a, a CPU interaction? or? Oh, um, a kernel would be something that executes on the GPU like a matrix multiply mm -hmm. or uh, add these two add these two big arrays together, mm -hmm. you know, or something like that. And then you, you may do multiple kernel calls, multiply this matrix by this, add these two together, then go around a loop and check whether your error condition is of that no repeat is a, is a very crude example. So you might have a loop in the CPU guiding and, and issuing kernel calls to kernels that pre-compiled for the GPU and then passing memory, copying memory to and from. Almost like threats, right, for Java developers? In, in, yeah, a little bit. The more async, like asynchronous calls, mm -hmm. you could think of them as asynchronous calls calls that do something that's not on the host. And you um, said the, the kernel creation is solved what's not solved is interaction between kernels or not I think optimized. kernel creation is, is, has been done before in Java, but we can make it easier to do that through Babylon. But I think we can go to the next step and look at compositions of kernel calls as well and get the code model for the whole call graph of, of, of the kernels and then analyze that as well. And we can make, we can make more um, sort of interesting optimization decisions at that level as well. Um, for how data movement occurs across GPUs and, and perhaps split the program out. So if you look at the whole program, you can actually split it out into the GPU bits mm -hmm. and into the CPU bits, and then there's async calls between the two, yeah. ping-ponging between the two. And so if you have a system.out.println in your host, that will still work, but the GPU bits will go off to the side and be black boxes to the host, and they just be async calls to them. So we can do that kind of... So you could decide which runs on CPU and GPU, you're saying, right? Yeah, I think, I think some of it makes sense on the CPU, and some of it makes sense on the GPU. It, I think devising a programming model where it's very clear what runs where is important. And, right and ones run ever, anywhere, right? So this is like <laughs> a back to, you know, JDK 1.0. In, in actual fact, the same thing, what, what Chris Latner did with Swift for TensorFlow was very interesting. And he, what he was trying to do was write machine learning models in Swift and, 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 and create a TensorFlow model from the Swift code by extracting out the model uh, from the code by doing the analysis at the right level. And I think we can do that using code reflection too. It's an experiment we need to try to see if it works. But we think we can de devise an API that allows you to build a machine learning model, express it concisely in Java, not as sort of add moles. You know, when you build up this effectively, what people do in Java, if they're going to do training often, is to build up a representation of the machine learning model, which is what a compiler would do. So if we can represent it in Java with an API and then pass the code model and then do analysis to extract out the machine learning model from that, we think we can generate Onyx models from Java code. And, and that, that, that's an interesting prospect from designing machine learning APIs. I think it would be a useful experiment to try. This will have, I think this is very useful because it would be like a you know, native integration between Java and, and machine learning, how to call it, environments or runtimes. Yeah, I think so. I think we can really push it. And to some extent, Java's behind because it, 
there's never been a, as as a focus on machine learning as there has on say Python, but you can do a reasonably good job today in in Java, and we see some libraries like that. But it's just the, the focus isn't there. It's not that you can't do it, but we can make it better. But the the focus will be there. I mean, you know, the money is in machine learning I, right I now. Think, I think so. You had an important point: is that people will want to integrate with their existing systems in the enterprise, and a lot of there's a lot of Java code in the enterprise that will want integration predominantly on inference of machine learning models, I think, more than training. But yeah. still, there's that integration in, and we need to make that better and smoother. Absolutely. And uh, what's uh, the next thing is, of course, you know, performance. Because yeah. if this thing runs in the cloud and uh, and uh, it uh, Python is 35 times slower than Java, <laughs> and, uh, and if I have my um, high-level Java program, I will have to transform my data to something which is usable by 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 the code model, and it cannot be one to one. So my, you know my enterprise apps who are dealing with JSON, with Java records, uh, high level representations, and I will have to you know to transform it and adapt it to to your API. So this happens between as well. And if Java runs the entire thing, it will be a lot faster than Python. I mean, this will be at least two. Yeah, you can, uh, yeah. that's for sure. Most people will not run Python like that at all. But I I, I think a lot of the inferior it depends, actually. In some some kinds of models with inference, you can do it reasonably on the CPU with vectorization. But in other cases, depending on the size, you have to go to a GPU to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think allowing that choice of execution target is is an interesting one. And if we can enable developers to build libraries to allow for that choice, and Panama and Code Reflection come in to help the developers write those libraries better, I think we'll be in a, in a good position. Yeah, absolutely. And first, we have also educate developers first, you know, because you don't even know what's what's possible right now. No, but- you know, one thing with this project is I hope I'm, I expect to be surprised by people doing really clever, crazy stuff. <laughs> so I'm hoping that there's going to once we go open, I, I hope um, I hope we can go open source um, this month. I intended mm-hmm. it to be last month, but we never got there yet. We just missed it. So hopefully we can go open source this month and then I can write a few articles after that to help guide people and inspire people. And I hope people will just start doing some really interesting stuff with it. So my estimation is this is one of the most important projects right now. So this is how I see this. And for, for different mm-hmm. points, uh, one is AI, of course. This is where the mm-hmm. business is right now. And uh, the questions regarding uh, integration, I get... No kidding. If I meet a new customer every time, mm. how mm. to integrate with you know the ML with our existing Java applications? Right. How, then if it runs in the cloud and you can run a little bit faster, there is money there, right? Mm-hmm. The faster it runs, the, the less you pay. Period. So I would, this is huge okay. use case for Java. Huge use case for yeah. Java. What I do in the cloud right now, one hundred percent pure Java, just because of costs. Yes. So and uh, because Java is so fast, so it's actually. Uh, how to call it? People even don't know how fast Java is. So if we, mm. uh, if it is works great for serverless for for all the use cases actually. And yeah. uh, and the and the next thing is Vasm, right? So f- for the code model, I could also use to generate Vasm, which sometimes is interesting, you know, uh, for uh, for edge functions, or we could do mm-hmm. uh, at least you no, know, because I why I should leave Java? No, I know Java well, so I would also if I have to create you now a small. Vasm think I would pick Java. Just try if, if and I'm not willing, you know, to use Rust or C sharp. Just, 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 you know, just to to output Vasm once, right? So I would pick pick Java. Yeah, and I, um, actually, uh-huh. just to, sorry to interrupt. That. I don't know a lot about use cases of Wasm, but you mentioned sort of edge functions. What 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 do you see going on there? So what uh, what companies are experimenting with is um, if you have uh, you have a cloud, but uh, the the cloud has uh, has um, so edge servers or edge endpoints, mm-hmm. and this is more or less um, um, a small smaller service, not a service, so like a small data center. Yeah. And then uh, on there is a cache, and before the cache is hit, you can run a small function, oh. and sometimes it can be okay. a Vasm function. Or a stripped down JavaScript. I see. And in the full data center, you're running, you know, uh, functions, uh, Java functions. But on yeah. the edges, uh, this is usually Vasm. And another thing is the Kubernetes community, mm-hmm. which um, I right now I'm using more serverless stuff like AWS uh, lambdas or Azure functions. Mm-hmm. But in Kubernetes, they're also experimenting right now to use uh, Vasm instead of uh, almost like a Docker replacement almost, or in the Docker Vasm, like oh. like a runtime. So like uh-huh. instead of bytecode. So it, it is Vasm has is it important? 
but it didn't took off in enterprise, but it could at least have the possibility to, you know, to, to have an answer is, is, is important. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Really interesting, and as, as it's somehow ignored by the Java community. Also, there are so many, so so many uh, places. So, if you search for, I think, Edge Function Vasm, you will find some companies providing services. And there, there, and there is even it's called something like Vasm System Interface. So they are even providing like almost POSIX compatible API for Vasm that you can call files and stuff like that. So this is, yeah, uh, yeah this is almost like bytecode. Right, yes, but but yeah, this yeah. is for me. It is a little bit boring because okay, we had it twenty years ago, but <laughs> now what? Now now the you know the the entire world moved to Vasm, so we have to do something with it, right? So this is a little bit pity. Well, but I think you know people who have to conform to the ECMAS, latest ECMAScript standard have to support Wasm. I'm presuming in some form or other, and so it gives there's there's sort of so all browsers effectively probably have to support it. So it gives it another thing to consume rather than just yeah. the other script. But in browser, it is less less interesting because it yeah. cannot interact with the UI. But yeah. could, for instance, incorporate machine learning model or whatever. But but not. It is more. It's, it's almost like a kernel. What you said, right? So there's Vasm yeah. in the browser. You can call it. You can pass byte array. You mm -hmm. get byte array back, but you cannot, you know, modify the DOM right now. For instance, right. I see. I see. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to, if you wrote a a, a Java method and annotated it, and you constrained it. You could potentially create um, a Wasm equivalent of it if it's if it's sort of like a kernel-like piece of functionality, but doesn't require sort of like you know extensive use of Java APIs, which you'd have to emulate otherwise. On that, yeah. if it's something simple, you can almost certainly do that kind of transformation. And this would be very important because Wasm is limited. It doesn't make sense, you know, to call external APIs because if it runs in browser, the APIs are not there. So I would yeah. say. This is yes, it's, I, it, it's even using array list might be a challenge. You know, Java util array list or something like that. This is the same in JavaScript. You concept. you have to pass from JavaScript to Vasm uh, some stripped down array in specific, uh, not really? not array list, yeah. rather very so low level array, stuff. So this is this is to expect. Yeah. You know, the the interaction yeah. with Vasm is crazy. So uh, it is not fun. Uh, <laughs> So, so I would say, mm -hmm. therefore, it is absolutely okay to put annotations and generate something which is, you know, an an island, which with, uh, a, with I see. so so this yeah. this would be it enough would at well the beginning. Yeah, I think. And I the next thing I wanted to to ask you about that because this is maybe it doesn't make any sense, but what I'm really looking forward in Java is string templates. Oh yeah, uh, because they also are almost like a link, you know, because uh, there is an interpreter which, uh, or not interpreter, I don't know what to call it. So it is a smarter than, you know, the, the replacement what we have right now in multi-line string. Mm -hmm. And you could even, to my understanding, this is not uh, public now, but uh, yet, but uh, um, it, it knows about the types inside the block and, uh, we could also inc incorporate it with the code model, right? You, yes, this is, I haven't thought too deeply about that, but it did occur to me. So string templates, so really you've got this template processor and yes. you pass it a string template and what yes. you get is a string with holes yeah. and results of the expressions as, a, as an, array, an object array coming mm -hmm. in. And from that, you can do anything stringily. Yeah, like which is actually quite reasonable in in many cases. You know, even SQL, as long as you you know, there's risks that you're going to generate syntactically incorrect SQL statements from that or other things. But it still works very well like that. Now, what what if you could actually get the code model for the little expressions that are in the string template? So rather than passing the result of the expression, you get the code model plus the result of the expression, and you may be able to do something interesting in 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 there. I think so. It remains to be seen. We also have to model string templates themselves. So if you had a had a had a, a method that you wanted to get the code model and you had a string template expression in there, we're going to have to model those as well. So we haven't done that either. But string templates are interesting. I think they're a wonderful, um, wonderfully clever design. Yeah. And I waited for them. What I already wanted to do is, you know, to try to. Uh, how to call it? Uh, reactivate the Jasper, you know, from Tomcat JSPs oh, yeah. for, for the server. <laughs> it's but the string template will solve it. You yeah, could actually, yeah. you could actually combine string templates with JaxRS, and we have you now the best yeah. uh, template yeah. engine on earth in Java, I would say. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think there's going to be interesting ways um, people are going to do that. I, I really like the design that, that they, they put this notion of a template processor in so this can act as a sort of guard 
because when you're doing string work, you want to make sure that someone isn't injecting something into yeah. your strings where they're, yeah. they're going to poison them. And so this is this is a very that was a very important part of the design process to ensure mm-hmm. that that doesn't that, that can actually be controlled by the developer. At the beginning, you said that Babylon comprises multiple pieces. So one was the Panama, which is like modern Gen I, so Gen I without C, right? Then we, what well, what else we have inside? Um, well, I wouldn't say Panama code reflection doesn't encompass Panama. I think the two together are kind of like greater than the sum of their parts. Yeah. So they're independent. So Babylon is is the core is 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 giving code to users in a reasonable form we're calling code reflection and there's a use case for the gpu but um babylon really consists of um kind of three things i would say um it, it's well first of all we have to model java programs as code models just like the ast models in a byte code as we have to model um, for loops while loops arithmetic expressions, string templates, assert statements. And to some extent, we don't know where the, where to draw the line is yet on that first bit. We Do we model all programs or do we only model a subset or do we initially only model a subset and then over time in multiple releases expand it out? All questions we still need to determine. But we have a prototype framework to experiment with that. So we model Java programs as code models and we do that through a meta model. And... And this model plus meta model uh, sort of is suitable for the sort of analysis and reasoning about code and transformation. And the meta model describes what what was about, right? That we have uh, for loops, that we have whiles, and and and, and it, even then it doesn't. It it, it describes um, a more abstract notion of basic blocks connected together. Okay, even okay in, in static single form and the notion of nesting. And then it's all operations, and the operations are what define, so we define a set of operations that model Java, and we specify what those operations mean in that, and, and, we, just, and we say, well, an instance of a code model for a Java program is, those, is, is all these things with Java operations in them. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, kind of like LLVM bit code, or very close to MLIR in that, in that concept and w- when you see it. So we, we, need, we need to model Java programs, And so that's a challenge in and of itself. And we need to model a core set of um, statements and expressions in there and and specify their meaning and standardize that. And we can model it at a high level and low level. So we have this notion of progressive lowering through transformation. So you can pick your points at which you want the level of abstraction to reason about the code. And once we have that, we need to enhance Java reflection to give you access at runtime and compile time to access to runtime instances of these models. So, for example, you should be able to eventually um, do some upfront compile time checking on your model to reject um, programs that don't conform to your required constraints. So it's better to get an error saying your GPU program doesn't work when you compile it as opposed to at runtime when you try to do the transformation later. So there's we need to allow that access both so reflection is often being considered at runtime we want to sort of broaden the access to compile time as well maybe we just focus on runtime first and then build up compile time later again don't know still working that out and then finally we need apis to build um, sort of build sort of and analyze and transform the models so that gives the the ability to generate um, help generate CUDA code or help auto diff and stuff like this a bit similar to Hotspot, right? What Hotspot is doing well, behind the scenes. Well, actually, the, 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 it's unsurprising in some respects that the design of the code model is very similar to what a, um, a, a standard, more modern compiler would represent their own code at as an intermediate representation, yes. So it's, it's, it's like what LLVM does, like what Graal does, like what Hotspot C2 does, but it's also allowing for nested code, and that's what gives us the ability to model structure and that's what the idea I got from MLIR. It allows you to model nested structure. And so you can capture the structure of for loops, ifs, and so forth like that, and reason about it at a higher level. When you reason about it at a lower level, it gets harder to reason about certain things, easier in other cases. And when you lower it down to bytecode, it gets even harder because all you have is go-tos. So- but, yeah, but if you get, you know, the, uh, I don't know how well the kernel is specified, but if you know it, 
you could actually throw compiler errors if you already know it won't work on this okay. GPU, right? So uh, no, that's really important. I, I think that's a, that's a very key thing. Going back to the the example of Triton, for example, we mm -hmm. talked about you 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 model tensors. You can't describe the the exact shapes of the tensors statically, but you can do it runtime. But you could run the compiler analysis at compile time and say this tensor is incompatible with this one because it has this incorrect shape that we've calculated as we computed through. And so producing those at compile time, I think, is very important because you, runtime errors are awful like that. So they're very hard, much harder to debug. So if you can report the, you know, the line number and description of information, that's uh, extremely useful. And would it be also uh, useful you know, to know this, the, 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 the hardware specific? So I'd say that if you have no 100 cores, that we can yeah. parallelize it differently so we can optimize for the hardware, right? Yeah, this is interesting because you you often don't want to optimize too early in the compilation process Okay. because sometimes you don't know what hardware you're going to execute on. If you mm -hmm. do, that's fine, but sometimes you want to delay that transformation or analysis or application of that till later when you know that you, you're going to target a particular GPU. Could you have multiple okay. stages? So no, like the oh, generic... Yes. Yes. You could do a generic compilation step just to do checking and then mm -hmm. and then and then reproduce that checks plus with other things at runtime when you know what your target is. This reminds me of Laden, right? The project Laden where yeah, you can yeah. decide. Uh, very good, very good connection there, because we could okay. actually do some upfront upfront decision making through Laden as well. Wow. And do some ahead of time. <laughs> so there's no reason why you couldn't ahead of time generate your kernels if you knew what target you were doing target you were going for so if you knew you were going at compile time to or at link time say to a ptx system mm -hmm. rather than opencl system you could you could make that decision then mm -hmm. so i would say what should happen is you know oracle should give you unlimited resources you know to, <laughs> because it is i i, I really this is uh, this is the thing right i mean um if if this is working we get a really tight integration we have the access to the hardware and, and this is crucially important and the thing is you know, everyone talks about AI and how to integrate that, and, and you cannot ignore it, for sure. I mean, this is very important. On the yeah, other yeah. hand, there is no Vasm story, which is also an important thing, and this will, uh -huh. this will solve it as well. And um, and uh, persistence, you know. I, I mean, Oracle also have databases, right? And what you can have a tighter integration with Oracle. So um, what you could do, a crazy idea, right? If you know the Oracle optimizer, you can you can optimize the SQL statements from the from the code model you could build to, to machine code, code to the to, to Oracle and skip yeah, the, the interesting. Yeah, you could take the SQL and then transform it into a directly to what Oracle Very database uh, yeah. understands, and then you can run you know Java code as dot procedure on Oracle, and it will outperform SQL. So I would say, <laughs> I, I'm no no kidding. If you know uh, someone from Oracle is listening, I mean this is the it's project. A possibility, yes. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's, as I said, I hope to be surprised when we give access people to the prototype and see what they do with it. And, and yeah, you know, the the, yeah. the people outside, they, they will play and they will see lots of examples. But what's this really interesting, this is really important for the cloud mm. and for the boring use cases, which actually generate the money, right? Because, you're, you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, there, there is like the business perspective and this is usually boring projects like, mm. you know, how to transform SQL to machine code and Oracle database, right? So, or, or optimized. Uh, this yeah. uh, you want to get it from community because uh, no one likes to play with such a thing, right? Or how to generate Vasm to to run a subset of something. So this is also like uh, very important. But maybe some someone from community, I will see lots of shiny use cases which are less relevant for the enterprises or for cloud, right? So this is usually what happens in such projects. Let's see, but uh, yeah. So I. I yeah. I'm really delighted. I would say this is what I what I waited for. So why Java is do nothing here in this area? Because there was Sumatra and what the other projects we heard about. It's every Java one. There were keynotes, but uh, now something happens, and uh, I already look at the code model and code reflection. And for me, it was the use case first not clear. It's like it's cool that we can actually generate. We use uh, for me it was like code reflection, like you know, reflection for source code almost that you can generate code via via API, right? Which is also very interesting. But now the use case is more appealing to me. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you can do that too. Um, you can generate build code models directly. Um, but the real power is the compiler producing something for you that in a in an easily digestible form. 
I, I just share another project. There's a really one that just uses Panama and a native linear algebra library. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it, this was used to implement, um, we implemented an algorithm called MSET, which is classic linear algebra. And we use a native library called Bliss. Mm-hmm. Uh, we built a wrapper around memory segments to represent matrices. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really interested in pursuing what it means to support matrices and ND arrays in the platform as well, because I think that's a key missing piece that we need to look at. But the thing is there, I can combine this with code reflection because what you can, when you operate on matrices, you often, you may want to say, I want to do an element-wise operation. But I'm going to specify what that operation is as a lambda expression because I don't want to add, do add, sub, all these methods, you know, in, in there. I want to express it um, as a little expression, as a lambda expression. And I can use code reflection to sort of crack open the code of that lambda expression and then compile a kernel to do that, to do that matrix element-wise operation. And that kernel could be vectorized in the CPU. It could be multi-threaded plus vectorized, or it could be a GPU kernel using the GPU um, a, APIs that we develop. So I'm trying to connect it to a, a use case where someone passing a snippet of code, mm-hmm. and we need to optimize it because if we if the user passes in n numbers of different um, lambda expressions, the C2 compiler will not optimize that at all, and it won't optimize it for accelerators or for vectors and so forth. And uh, to, to my knowledge, metrics problem. metrics operations are crucial for neural networks, right? They are for a- a- AI. So this this example here, this this library here, was used um, to develop uh, an, a machine learning algorithm, not a deep neural net, but an alternative machine learning algorithm called MSET, which detects anomalies, statistical anomalies in time-based series mm-hmm. data, for example. Uh, it was originally developed to detect faults in nuclear power plants, but you can easily use it to detect faults in aeroplanes, you know, when you're sampling time series data. So it's, it's a very straightforward algorithm with some clever twists to it, but we can write it really efficiently in Java using a very efficient native linear algebra library. And then I can pound on code reflection onto that to make it even better API. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm re- yeah, I'm really curious and there's lots of fun, you know, to spend some time as a Java developer because a lots it's yeah. just, and never and the interesting part is now we have something like a perfect storm. No <laughs> kidding. Because we you know Java 21 LTS is great. So I really still enjoy it. So uh it, we we are we have almost pattern matching, you know, the uh this mm-hmm. is uh, but uh we have the Java records, we have the the uh the instance of pattern already I almost mm-hmm. forget what we have because I use it Java 17 Java 21 all the time so um I don't pattern even know what the diff to L11 is anymore but uh it's a yeah. lot of great stuff and you can write a concise code yes data oriented programming right so this is the 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 idea that you can pass Java records you know through and and react to the data and keep mm-hmm. this separated and now this uh, code model also plays well because uh, it's also separated right so I can I can then I can yeah. the input data react to it and maybe call different models even right depending on my business object type I could uh, call this model this model and this model is very similar to LangChain what they are doing mm-hmm. and um and yeah and this is with core java this is always important to me just try to minimize external dependencies and rely what java provides this is less hassle with updates and you know with mm-hmm. versioning so it's, um yeah I, I would say it's really great I'm really Surprise! How far you are actually, right? So, well, it's still a long way to go. Yeah, sure. So we're making progress. Um, and you know, this year, I, I'm, I'm really looking to for, um, looking forward to progress on Valhalla. It's getting closer and closer. And I think with pieces of Valhalla, we we we'll be able to design APIs we wouldn't have thought of doing before because the cost of boxing starts to go away. Mm-hmm. And I think that means that we, we 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 didn't want to sort of create boxes on the fly and boxes of boxes and so forth like that. But the cost of that's going to go down. So like the Valhalla is like an, a struct in Java, right? So have a really kind they, of yeah. It, it's more a value type. It's an immutable yeah. uh, piece of information, kind of like a record. In you could view it as something, but it's a bit more general than a record. But I expect most people, when we have Valhalla, will write value records because they offer a, a lot of value to um, for performance and so forth. But it, I think it, it will there'll be less, com, hopefully less complaints or less resistance to using the box primitive types to a certain extent because the cost of boxing is going to get cheaper. Mm-hmm. 
which makes it makes you rethink your API design around supporting references and primitives. Mm-hmm. And we may have an evolution story. So to ha- when I have to refer to my box primitive type, but later on I can refer to my actual the type I want to refer to, which is int not integer. Mm-hmm. We may have a compatible story to get to that point, which means we can start experimenting with matrix and ND array-like APIs earlier and, and just deal with the box types, but have a story later to get to the primitive types underneath if we want to express it. Um, and memory segments will give us a way to represent on and off heap data uniformly. In, in which APIs are you actually uh, involved right now? So in, in, in Babylon and, and, and what else? Uh, I, I was involved heavily involved in reviewing a Panama um, APIs and using those. I'm mostly involved with Panama um, Babylon right now, getting that up, getting that up to speed, yeah. uh, launching that. So that's my primary focus for the next couple of months, I would say. But I think we covered Babylon well right now. So as an intro, mm-hmm. is good enough, right? Because I would like to invite you back, of course, and talk, you know, about all the surroundings APIs and oh, and promote it and and uh, you know. Maybe I, I find some use, use, user stories from uh, use cases from my enterprise yeah, boring world. And, and this is what I'm interested in the most. Yeah. And, and you give me, you know, the ideas, what you are doing. Because if you are, you are now explaining what happens, I immediately see what you could do with it, you know, in the enterprise world. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it will happen uh, in next two years. The most asked question is now how we integrate, you know, the all the machine and learn. Models right. with Java, and can we also do our something by, with Java or not? This is yeah. like you won't believe what happens. I see, I saw already you no know, projects which run you know serverless function in Python because they thought you know Java is not uh, cloud ready or whatever. These are like crazy stories. Yeah. And if we provide some appealing you know um, use cases or examples, this is the the, the missing part. You say, look, mm-hmm. you can do zero mm-hmm. stuff with it, and yeah. and you know um, energy efficiency. Is huge in Europe because uh, we are forced by law, you know, to to at mm-hmm. least show where the CO2 what happens with it. So there is like you know an 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 an, an law this year. So suddenly you you have to you know to to show what you are doing in the data center. And yeah. if uh, and and if Java will run, so I don't know whether you know there is a paper from Google, efficiency performance and energy efficiency of Java comparing to mm-hmm. other languages. Mm-hmm. And Java is number five. I don't know the exact you know uh, ranking, but it's like C, C plus plus, Ada, Rust, Java, and everything else is worse. So Go is slower and, and worse, oh. and Python and Ruby are are really bad. So it's like thirty five times, oh. and um, and this makes makes Java you know is back in the game. So not back in, mm-hmm. in the game for me is always in the game, but uh, it is really <laughs> appealing to start with Java now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's interesting to hear. Thank you. Uh, what I will do, I will put your, your presentations to the show notes, and um, and yeah, I'm r- really looking forward, you know, to to the next conversation. Uh, m- maybe your progress with Babylon really interests me. You know, what are the features and how it works, and mm. and uh, and also the listeners, of course, uh, I'm pretty sure. And um, and also, you know, uh, Panama is also really important because uh, I had several cases, you know, last year how to integrate with JNI with external libraries, and this is not fun. And no. uh, and I was not ready. To, I could use JNA, you know, this yes. JNA, yeah. and yeah. yeah, and lots lots are going on. And I don't know whether whether you're also aware of Tornado VM, also interesting yes. oh, project. Very much so. Yes, very yeah. much so. So they, they're very. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to collaborate with them on on Project Babylon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we already had a podcast with them as well. Also, a really, uh, really, uh, extremely interesting project. They can also run on GPU or CPU, and yeah, lots of yes. happens. Yeah. So, yep, we'll, we'll be collaborating with them. So, it'd be good fun. Perfect. Where people can find you if they um, open JDK list. I stopped using Twitter to be honest, given what's going on there. So I'm not, I'm not on Mastodon yet. So it's mostly the open JDK list right mm-hmm. now. And maybe I should, maybe I should go onto Mastodon some server somewhere, but I haven't done it yet. But um, you know, to me, it's a bit sad that Twitter has gone the mm-hmm. way it's gone. So I just stopped. I just yeah. stepped back. From yeah, it. sure. No problem. So thank you. And thank you for your great work. It's really uh, nice. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs>